We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now on to my guest for today, Neville Medora, one of the best copywriters out there and creator of Copywriting Course. Neville is best known for his copywriting company and course, Copywriting Course. Born in Texas to Indian immigrants, Neville relates how he first learned about the potential for entrepreneurship when someone in his community took him under his wing and taught him about his real estate business. Neville went on to build a successful online company selling rave supplies before he ever graduated from college. An avid reader, he's learned from many successful business people and entrepreneurs. He sees the secret of copywriting to be both educational and entertaining, with the goal of instilling information into the reader's head. He also recently published the book, You're Gonna Die, a framework for happiness, where he describes planning his life around the probable age of death and working backwards to live the life he truly wants to live. Now, let's get better together. Neville Medora, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's going great, man. You know, I just was telling you before we got started that 
it's literally taken me three years to hit buy on the copywriter course. Um, and I don't remember, I don't know why I hit, I finally hit buy, but I think a lot of it had to do with this project I'm working on, which we could talk about later, later on, but I have been following you for a long time. Um, know about you through Sam Parr over at the hustle. Um, mm-hmm. love, love what you do. Uh, but before we talk about all that, um, why don't you just give us a little background of how you got to do what you're doing? Well, currently what I'm doing is I run a copywriting company. That's what I spend about 80% of my time on. And we teach people like rewrite their web pages, rewrite uh, cold emails, and we do it all with the focus on conversion. So we put out content with the intent on selling at some point. Um, so how I got there, you want the kind of the whole background, <laughs> I mean, a little, little you know, truncated background. Yeah. <laughs> I like to say, uh, give us the nickel tour, <laughs> the nickel tour. Yeah. So, so basically in, um, middle school, I was a prolific reader. I, I read a lot, uh, kind of pre-internet days and, um, or they had some internet, but not like what you have now. And so I would read a lot of books and I started getting into like these business books, middle school, high school. High school, I started reading a lot of autobiographies, like the autobiography of Jackie Chan, uh, Jay Leno, just like all the, anyone I knew I would read. And I kind of started to see this trend of like, huh, they're, they're like, if you read like 50 of these books, the advice tends to be kind of the same, right? Like work hard, do unique stuff, you know, uh, per- persevere, blah, blah, blah. Don't listen to everyone. It is like similar stuff. And so I started thinking, huh, that, I, I could follow some of these rules. It seems like if everyone's saying it, it can't be like totally wrong, right? And so um, so I started reading about these business titans and everything. And that started kind of interesting me. And um, in my community, I'm Zoroastrian, which is a very specific type of Indian. We're like Indian and Iranian. And there was a bunch of like these businessmen in our community um, in Houston, Texas, where I grew up. And some of them would donate these large sums of money to our church. And I remember hearing this one guy donated like a million something dollars and, and I knew him and I knew his son. Wow. And I was just like, I knew how much our house in Houston cost. And like <laughs> his donation was like, you know, way more than our house costs. And I was like, how does that even like, what? Yeah. I just couldn't believe it. Right. And so I finally like mustered up the courage with the help of my mom to be like, I, I asked him, I was like, Hey, what do you, what do you do? Like what, what's going on? And I think I must've been like 15, 16 at the time. And he was like, well, why don't you come work for me? That's all he said. He's like, how much do you want to be paid? And I, I was so shocked by this. I was like, I didn't know if people get paid $1 an hour or $1,000 an hour. Like, I didn't know this concept. Right. And so, so he came up. Uh, so, so he kind of took me under his wing and people just thought I was a son because we're, the, like I said, the same type of Indian. We kind of look alike. And so um, he took me around and he had this big real estate company. I mean, a ton and ton of real estate. He would go around and just check out properties, talk to people. If he saw like a clogged toilet or a broken door, he would like write it down in a notebook or text someone about it. And I was like, this is what you do. <laughs> like, it just seemed so blue collar to me. It just, it didn't see, it, it didn't seem like what a CEO thought in my you know young mind. And so I would go there and kind of like take on different jobs and stuff and help them with computer stuff. And from there, I started learning that like he would look at all these deals, real estate deals, he'd print them out physically and look at tons of them a day. Every once in a while, every few days, he'd be like, hmm, it's pretty interesting. And then I, w- I would hear people like in our community be like, oh, he's lucky with real estate. And I was just like, I don't think he's lucky. I think like I'm seeing it happen. Like why it happens like that. So anyways, that was kind of my first foray into like real business. I had started a bunch of little side hustles. I designed websites. 
Um, I started a rave company in high school called houseofrave.com. Uh, you may have heard about that if you followed me for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I've never been to a rave till this day in my life, but I sold <laughs> a bunch of rave stuff. Uh, it was like drop shipping before, like it was big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah, so yeah. I started that, it, that was a high school era also. So by the time I went to college, I had like a little bit of income. I think I was making like 500 bucks a month from it, which back then in 2001 was like a you know, decent that's, sum for a that's college decent. student. Yeah. For a college. Kid. And then it started getting bigger. I started doing a bunch more little like side projects and stuff like that. Uh, that's when I got the, the whole like playing business thing out of my system. I printed business cards that said Neville Medora CEO, you know, I filed like three different LLCs, all that shit. And then like you realize later, it's like, yeah, I don't think you need any of that. Uh, I mean, I don't even think I have a business card now. Um, I have one LLC that everything runs under. And, and to be honest, you probably don't even need that. <laughs> and, and so I, I got my form. I was lucky that I got my formative, like playing business because everyone goes through that. When you start, everyone goes through it. You just got to go through it. I, w- I did playing business early. The other thing I got uh, out of my system early was the first time you have some money, you want to spend it. So I remember having like $15,000 in my bank account, like in a check, a student checking account that right, I had made. Right, right. And like, I was like a freshman in college or something. And I, I had no idea what to do with it. Like it didn't make any sense. It was just like this digital number. And then I started, I figured out you could buy stuff online. <laughs> I started ordering speakers and cool computer monitors and a better computer. And I was like, oh, you can spend this money on stuff. Like, that's pretty sweet. I like that. Um, so I went through those phases early on in college. And then after I graduated, I went full-time with all these different projects. And then, um, so getting back to how copywriting course started, Noah Kagan, one of my best friends, actually, we're staying in, we rented a house together on the beach in Malibu oh, cool. for the summer. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, so we're still best buds. And he was building AppSumo off my couch as a side project. It just kind of moved to Austin. was kind of couch surfing and stuff. And so he's building this little side project. It wasn't much back then. And I had started learning about copywriting to promote my rave company over email. I had previously sent out emails all the time. They made like negative money. <laughs> they barely made any money, but it cost me 80 bucks a month to host the email server. Right. Oh, yeah, and yeah. So, so I was like, well, this isn't profitable. <laughs> and so I was just doing it the wrong way. And uh, my friend, now he's kind of a famous internet guy, Ryan Levesque. But back then, like no one knew who he was. I met him in China. Ironically, I got him into business. He got me into copywriting. Oh, cool. He's like, you got to read these Gary, Gary Halbert letters. Oh, yeah. I've, I, yeah. On your recommendation, I, I read the Boron letters. Yes, the Boron letters, chapters um, 1 through 25. Yeah, yeah and, and literally like great stuff. And then the other one I'm actually looking at right now, the other one was the Ad Week Copywriting Handbook. I read that. Yep. Joe Sugarman. Yeah, really good yeah. stuff. Ogilvy on advertising is probably my other top three. I always yeah. give people just three because there's so many books, but yeah, just what's totally. to get started. I started reading the Boron letters and I realized, damn, I think I've been selling everything wrong. And I was actually really happy and sad at the same time. Happy I discovered this, sad that like I'd screwed up all the selling that I'd done in the past. <laughs> like power washing houses, I'd show up at someone's door and be like, oh, you want me to power wash your house? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could have made a pitch. Yeah. I, I could have done so much better. <laughs> Yeah, and it would have been wouldn't have been as scary because you're like you're prepared with the pitch, mm-hmm. and so um, so anyways, so I started doing the, the boron letters and kind of learned about selling, and so I applied it to my own business. And overnight, we went from just like hoping and praying everyone buys on e-commerce randomly through search engines to kind of like becoming like kind of an email marketing company. Like that's how we go out and get business. And I was like, well, that was a pretty dramatic shift, pretty quick. So there's something to this copywriting thing, and then. 
uh, Noah was building AppSumo on the side. He was doing these deals and sending them out. I was like, dude, these emails suck. What if we try putting some of this copywriting stuff on it? So we tried. And this was kind of back in the day, maybe 2011, 2012. And we were real, like, uh, it was real brash stuff. Like, I don't think you'd get away with it anymore. <laughs> we look back at some of those old things yeah. and we're like, whoa, that's yeah. that's, that's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Context and, uh, is important it, on that stuff. It was fun. It was like really fun copy. And we just had a, a good time with it. And about 70%, I still live by this rule. I, I make it like 70% of the email was educational. Interspersed with funny, but mainly educational on how to use the product. And, um, and then we put a sale. Oh, by the way, we also have 50% off a lifetime access deal. And that worked crazy. It was the first $10,000 profit day. And so we're like, uh, yeah, let's do that again. And then from then on, I started writing all the emails until it got like too much for me. And we hired like three extra copywriters or something to take over. And by then the tone was kind of set the formula for like roughly how to do it was kind of like in place. Right. So I could hand off a lot of that work. Um, so, so that, and then what happened was with the AppSumo audience and my own audience, I also had a, fi- a popular financial blog at the time that people would ask, it was like, why do I read your emails? Like, I know you're trying to sell me something, <laughs> but I opened every single one up and I was like, oh, it's this, this copywriting thing. You should check it out. And after, you know, answering that for the 5,000th time, I was like, maybe we should make one of these course things, which was kind of a new thing back then, right? Yeah, back then. Video was still a little bit difficult. So we made the course. So that turned into copywriting course, which was just actually hosted on like nevblog.com slash copy or something for a long time. Yeah. And then I think in 2015, it became like a real company. Um, it was around since maybe 2013 or so, mm-hmm. but it became a real company in 2015. And ever since then, yeah, we've been building out a, a great community and stuff like we have now. It used to just be a course. And then we're like, wait, why don't we just do copy for people? Like, I'm really because I do all these consults. So today's a consult day. I've got back to back consults all day. Um, and I like doing that stuff. So we hired a bunch of writers. We go in. And so I was just in there writing copy for other people. And that's how I get better myself and keep a track on like what's going on in the world rather than like reading the boron letters and thinking that's correct all the time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's how I ended up here and talking to you and you signed up and after three years of convincing you, yeah, uh, I got it. And here's the cool thing. I didn't actually do any extra work to get you on board. That's I true. did that work once right. and then the computer robot did the right. rest. Right, right, right. That's the beauty of copywriting. You can use it to like replicate yourself many thousands of times for essentially no money. Yeah. No, I mean, it, again, it's like the... <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember like why I clicked on the button, but I clicked. Well, on the I, I checked your I checked your account. There was a sale going. Yeah, on. I think there was a sale. You bought right? it yearly. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, it was there you go. I, fi- I know the fi- reason. Yeah, you finally convinced me. Um, I mean, it was. I mean, there's just so much to unpack because it's like again, I really like what you're doing, and I do think that writing good copy, telling good stories, is the secret to sales of anything. Uh, the company or organization that, you know, tells the best story is going to win. And the whole educational aspect of what you talked about, you know, Brian Clark over at Copy Blogger t- talked about mm-hmm. that too. The whole education sells similar philosophy. Um, it's just, it's just amazing that people don't get it. <laughs> you just see a ton of really bad copy out there. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't get it either. Yeah. I mean, the way that we learn in English classes that you write, dear sirs, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, you write very formal, very stoic. And that was like in the days of like when writing letters was cool. If you go back and read old books of letters, you see them writing that way. Mm-hmm. But that was their only way of communication. So it was formal. And the reason it's formal, it's like whenever you go up in front of Congress, you're not going to be like, yo, what's up, guys? It's, you're going to write formal because it's a serious matter. <laughs> and letters back in the day were a serious matter. Yeah. That was the way you communicated. And now I think people, like, you don't need that as much, right? You don't need to introduce yourself over the letter because we know who it is online. Your picture of your face is there. So the nature of communication has changed because we have these better mediums. And so, uh, so especially with like social media, I think that's like, that's a whole different type of medium than email. That's a whole different type of medium than just content on the page and uh, on a web page. So I like thinking of copywriting, not just in terms of the written word, but basically what is the best way to install information that's in my head and put it into your head or put it into a thousand people's heads or put it into a million people's heads using a combination of these tools. So that's originally why we started the, the, the course with like K's. Uh, well, one, I couldn't get the domain name. Two, <laughs> uh, copywriting to me is just like kind of a lot of copywriters will just focus on the written word. Like it's like pencil on a page. I'm like, there are so many new mediums to use. Why would you not use a high bandwidth medium like video where you have imagery, sound, text, whatever, you, every single type of thing with the exception of touch and smell uh, are yeah. transmitted through video. So why would you not want to get good at that? Um, so, so that's what the, the way we think of copywriting. How do I, it's like installing an iPhone app on a thousand iPhones. You, you make one program and it goes on all the iPhones. Similarly, what program can I make that will install in the most amount of heads in the quickest amount of time? Yeah. Um, so, so you say we are, are, do you have any co-founders in the company? No, I'm, I'm totally in control. However, I do have other people that work in the company that have a lot of act, uh, yeah, control everything too. Yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, in terms of equity, I always tell people, I'm just like, I think what you want when you say equity is money and we can make that happen much faster than giving you equity. Cause unless the company sells, like I don't get anything. So. Right. Right. My guess yeah. is that you you haven't got any venture backing or anything like that. So I haven't really needed it. Um, you, I don't know what I would do with it that I couldn't just afford to do myself. Yeah. Maybe that's a fault of my own. I don't know, but yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know San Francisco that. question. Of you. Yeah. So, what, what was that? Very San Francisco question. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, you know, in San Francisco, <laughs> um, everyone says that, oh, you're running a lifestyle business. It doesn't matter. But, you know, like uh, I'm in this community called Seven Figure Small. It's a Brian Clark and Jared Morris community. And they're all mm-hmm. about like what you're doing, building a seven figure small business that you run and control. I know a bunch of people that run businesses that are not back. Some of them are not very sexy businesses and um, they make a ton of money and they crank it out year after year. And it would make far more money than like one small sale with a lot of taxes and stuff like that. And I know a lot of people that took too much venture capital or have a lot of co-founders and very much regret it now. Yeah. So I'm glad that this was set up the way it is. Um, so I'm not saying it's bad either way. No, it's just, no, no, no. This is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just different. I think, I think that's the thing I'm trying to get across when I do these interviews with all sorts of different types of entrepreneurs is that. It's not just the Silicon Valley, San Francisco startup venture backed ones. It's what you do. It's what, you know, the mom and pop, you know, junkyard or th- there's lots and lots of these small businesses that are not necessarily that small um, that are running great and people, in, you know, enjoy what they're doing and they're making a huge contribution. 
Um, there is a lot of economy out there that people don't realize, especially if you browse the internet, be like, how to get rich. It's of course going to skew towards like the guy that's really good at YouTube that's selling a course and stuff like that. Nothing wrong with it. It's just that it does miss this whole area. Um, I think if you, the SRDSS handbook, whatever it's called, and also the, the IRS tax code, there's literally 10,000 classifications of different businesses. I think much more than that, actually. Yeah. And if you look through it and the size of the economy that it represents, like just like, so like the trucking industry alone, mm-hmm. there's whole giant companies that just make tractor trailers. Yeah. Then there's suppliers that just make the tires for those tractor trailers. Then there's suppliers that make the little counter of how many wheel spins go on the tractor trailers. Then it's coming that service that to make their sort of the secure. And it just like, you just go down this rabbit hole and we're just talking about wheels on a truck. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like there's this whole other economy out there. That's super interesting to me. And I've met a lot of those business owners that make a tremendous amount of money and just no one knows who they are. Zero Toyota followers, no press, not sexy, no competition. It's great. They just grind it out. I mean, that's just like, you know, there's 14 million truck drivers in the U S I mean, trucks deliver everything, (laughs) everything you can think of. I, when, when, when one of the startups I was at, we got asked, as part of a kind of a accelerator kind of vetting process to go to um, Copenhagen, Denmark, and to talk to Maersk. Do you know who Maersk is? Oh yeah, big shipping company. Big shipping company. So Maersk, t- send you know, brings us to Copenhagen. <laughs> We're sitting in this. Just imagine this cool Copenhagen skyline with all this shipping stuff, and Maersk mm. is like a hundred year old company. You know, they're this like. They ship to like 25% of the world's goods are on a Maersk ship or in a Maersk container. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, we need to be more innovative and we need to like have a lab, innovative lab. Um, and the like three months before they were in the news because um, literally someone hacked all their IT systems and mm-hmm. shut out all of their systems. <laughs> and so we were talking to one of the guys. He's like, yeah, we need more, more agile and nimble. And I go, what happened? When you're like running, you're running. The, it's, you're the largest shipping country, company in the world. What? What? Did, how'd you guys run when you're shut down? Like people took over your system, and he's like, spreadsheets and WhatsApp. And I'm all, huh? <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty cool. So even though it's like all this high tech, and you know, we were there to pitch like sensors and tracking cool stuff. At the bottom, like getting the container from China to wherever it was going was spreadsheets and WhatsApp when they couldn't rely on the internet. I thought that was uh, pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, just taking just some of those companies into like the digital age is a big deal. Yeah. Super yeah. huge. Super huge. Um, I actually wanted to talk about your new book too. Uh, you're yeah. going to die, I think is the, the yeah, title. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You're going to die. I title right next to me. Yeah. yeah. Die. Tiny little book. Yeah. Tiny little book. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, which I've read. Um, oh, thanks. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I'm curious, what's the obsession with death? Um, it's actually an exception, uh, an obsession with life and okay. the quality of life. Cool. Um, but so, so like I said, in, in middle school, I was a prolific reader and I started formulating this idea around then, uh, it was more like high school and college that I started thinking like, okay, I want to plan my life, but I have to know when the end is. So, so if you plan a trip to Paris, and it's only two days, you're going to blaze through it real quick oh, and yeah. pack everything in. If it's For two sure. months, the, the, the destination has not changed. Just the time length has changed. It'd be a different trip. Yeah. 
So um, I remember even just growing up like in an Indian community, people are like, oh, you should get married. And I remember thinking like, well, if I'm going to live till roughly 85 or something like that, and you get married at 25. That's, I mean, you know, it's a long time. That's all. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a long time. It's a long time. A long time to do a lot of things. Exactly. So, so I wanted to plan life backwards. So I said, okay, when am I probably going to die? So I started looking up statistics and statistically it's 78. Mm-hmm. So, so when I say I want to kill myself at 85, people are like, oh, what do you want to, I'm just like, most likely I won't make it there. Just, right. just FYI, the stats are there. Right. Also, right. this is a, this is a conceptual idea, not a plan. Yeah. I have like a bomb inside me at yeah. 85. This is a wow. thought experiment, everyone. Exactly. Thought experiment. It's like, if a, I'm like awesome at 85 and things are cool. Yeah. Keep I'll, going. I'll, I'll, I'll write it out. Yeah. But in my head, the 85 is the end date. If I make it there, right. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Who knows? So, uh, so I thought like, okay, so I know, I know literally like, you know, the start middle and end of my life roughly as best I can tell. Mm -hmm. And so, so how do I plan to have a good life? And, And it's really interesting because I think it's actually made me a much happier person. I think I've naturally been pretty happy, great childhood, great parents. So I got super lucky with that part. Totally. Um, but knowing that you're going to die. So like a lot of people will try to accomplish things and you kind of do ask like, you know, what's it for? Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and I'm not discounting being unhappy where you are or uh, unsettled and always wanting more. I think that's a very important part um, of life. However, you should, I think ultimately, if you look at when you're going to die, it's going to be in the next couple of decades. And then let's say radical life extension is, is doubles life. Okay. You're still going to die in a hundred years. Yeah. And let's say we turn into robots. You'll still die in a thousand years, maybe. And eventually the, the, the universe will die a, a, a slow, cold heat death <laughs> and turn into a fine mist for the next hundred quadrillion years. Yeah. 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 So yeah. like, ultimately you're going to die at some point. I don't right. care what you turn into. Right. Right. And so, um, so I thought, well, well, what's the point of this then? And it really is one of the things, it's the journey, it's the journey, not the destination, right? Because right. the destination is you're going to end up in the ground or burned or, or you know, whatever you're, you're going to die. Yeah. So, so, um, how about just enjoy this? <laughs> and I think that's been a very helpful thing, uh, for me. And I was lucky to figure that out pretty early in life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the book is about that concept because normally when I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to live till 85 and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, wait, how, how do you know that? I'm like, oh, well, if, if I make it till then, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. It's a planned decommissioning of my body, right? Um, so, yes, yes. so yeah, so everything I want to do, and I worked backwards and I thought, well, you know, let's say I want to climb Mount Everest. Well, you don't see a lot of 70-year-olds doing that. No, right? not at all. So if you want to do that, you have kind of like, you know, humans have kind of like a decline around 40 years old in terms of physicality, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, it's not that no 70 year old can do it, but it's pretty unlikely. Yeah. Pretty tough. So if you want to do certain things in life, you got to do them at a certain age. Uh, so I wanted to live the first half of my life in a selfish phase and then the next with kids and all that kind of stuff, uh, it, in an inherently unselfish phase where you, you think about this other person first. Right. So I, I planned backwards with that. I, I found it very useful in planning a life. No, I mean, like I said, when I, um, when I first read through it, um, one, I found it obviously entertaining. I mean, you're you're an exceptional writer when it comes to telling a story. Thank you. Um, and it's 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 a different way of thinking of the world. Um, and 
I probably wouldn't have thought about that this that way, life that way. Um, mm-hmm. But after my wife died mm-hmm. of leukemia three years ago, um, mm-hmm. it changed my attitude about it. Um, you know, she was 36 and she didn't, wow. she didn't want to go. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and who, who would when you're that young? And I remember, you know, I get a little choked up. Sorry. Um, no, no worries at all. Um, I, I get, I, I get asked this a lot because, you know, I was a widower at 46 and mm-hmm. that's a shitty thing to be. It's also crappy that your wife died and all the things that she could have been. And, but, but the thing that is, that hit me really hard and, and, and it's kind of how you lay it out in the book is that, um, like every day matters and every day. Ha- and I get that. This is what I got out of it, of, of what you, what you wrote. And then what I've experienced every day is a gift and you do need to plan for the end. But when you know the end's going to come, it frees you because it frees you to enjoy every day like it's your last day. And it seems a little bit morose and it seems a little bit like, well, what about the rest of it? But every day I wake up, I'm happy. And the reason is, is I get another day. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I could get hit by a bus or I may hopefully I live to 85 or whatever, um, mm-hmm. that's just kind of gravy. Because if I'm living my life today, the way I want to live every day, and of course, you know, doing the best I can and being, you know, a good person or doing whatever I want to do, then that end date for me is a lot less scary. And and when you, when you wrote all that and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not afraid to die. Could die today and I've lived a great life. And the reason I live, the reason I have that attitude is because I'm doing what I want to do. I'm not waiting, which I think mm-hmm. is another thing that you've kind of lay out in there. It's like, why wait? <laughs> like you do what you want to do, you know? I mean, you plan, right? And of course, mm-hmm. but boy, each part of the of your life should be have some meaning. So Yeah. First of all, I did not know that about you. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's no problem. That's heavy. I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Uh, yeah. But but I that's actually really cool to hear that that's the way you think. I think the, the, you're going to die thing is, is made to elicit maybe a reaction of course. Yeah. Um, but it really is all about kind of like the journey. So I see a lot of people, especially a lot of entrepreneur people who have a tendency to be a little bit more neurotic yeah. about stuff. And I'm like, yeah. what's the point of life? And I feel like I was lucky to go to India a lot when I was a child, I wasn't born there. I was born in Houston, but yeah. Uh, we went there all the time and I remember seeing just like cousins that had my same last name and looked like me, but their life was immensely harder than mine. Yeah. And I was just like, just because I was born in the United States, just luck of the draw, you know, luck of birth. just because my dad decided to come to the United States. It was just that. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I, I, I went to India back when it was like truly, truly a third world country. Yep. Um, it's changed quite a bit, but, um, but I remember seeing just the conditions and being exposed to just like crazy abject poverty, like a naked three-year-old yeah. boy running around in traffic, banging on cards, asking for money. Yeah. And you're like, is he like, is that okay? <laughs> and yeah. no one cares. Cause you just see it all the time. Yeah. Or it, that could have been you. It could have been me. Yeah. And so, so I just, I, I get to see kind of like the, uh, <laughs> I, I guess like in the United States or someplace nice where you're just like, uh, 
this shit's great. <laughs> this is pretty good. <laughs> this is really, really, really awesome compared to what most people live like. And so it was, it was a very appreciative thing. And I also uh, formulated some of that idea from going to India. I wrote about that in the book, yeah. watching like these elderly people being taken care of on the street by their family. And it was just like, you know, I hate to say it, but like the kind of a drag on their family. Yeah. They're drag on the living because everything revolves around them and taking care of them. And yeah. they're never going to be a producing asset anymore. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was, I was just like, I think a planned decommissioning of life should be a normal thing. It's being legalized in more States now. Um, I volunteered in a bunch of uh, nursing homes when mm -hmm. I was in high school and worked in a, uh, uh, Alzheimer's ward stage yeah. three and four Alzheimer's. And these yeah. people were mentally gone. Yeah. They didn't have proper brains. No. And it was, it was really crazy that like, you're not allowed to let them just die. And it was, it was really sad to see. And, uh, but it's, it's tragic when someone's young and dies, yeah. but when someone's had a good life and lived it out and now they're in this like steep decline, it's not, I don't think it's good for anyone. No, no, it's not good for them. And I mean, I've had, family that have had Alzheimer's and dementia. And, and I think decline. if they knew what they were doing to their family, I mean, yeah. they're not doing it on purpose, but oh. like, I think if they knew the expense and uh, emotional expense that it takes when they see them, they don't remember them, uh, that they too in their right mind would say, this is not the way to go. Yeah. And, and what's really interesting is that, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, here in the U S we have a different attitude. I mean, we have a different attitude about death and dying and grieving in general, right? What I've found through my experience is that the grieving process in the United States is horrible. Like you can't have a human emotion if you're a man. I mean, you can't cry if you're a man, like they look at you funny. Um, you can't get mad if you're a woman, right? It's like, yeah, you should be, able, you should be angry and mad and sad and happy all in the same breath because you're going through a trauma. Your body's changing when you, when someone you love dies. And if you're not prepared for that, you just go off the rails. I mean, I went off the rails. Like I started drinking more. I smoked a lot of pot. Like I don't do that anymore. I, I quit. I've been sober for a couple of years now. And it's just fucking horrible. Sorry, I shouldn't say, but it, it's just this. I think the attitude towards death that you're trying to get at in the book, and I, I do agree it's about life. And I think it's it's a it's actually an attitude change that I think would help a lot of people. Help a lot of people not only live a better life, but when the end comes, they'll be okay with it. And more importantly, their family will be okay with it. This notion of holding on for the, you know, the glass grasp of everything. I remember, you know, when, when Jane was really sick and, you know, they couldn't do anything for her. It was just, it, 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 like you could feel every, every, every ion in your body. It was just like, I don't know what to do. And I'm not used to this and what's going to happen. And, no one takes you through that process. I mean, religion to a certain degree does, but it's still, there is not a healthy discussion about the all phases of life. And I really think that what you've done with this book, even though of course it's su supremely entertaining and you're, of course your style, <laughs> you know, it's irreverent and it, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's a quick read, which is always appreciative um, because a lot of times people drone on about stuff that just doesn't matter. Didn't need um, to be long no, doesn't need to be right. Uh, I think that the great thing about this is that as you start to realize what you've realized and what I've realized, you do live a better life and you actually take priorities seriously. So you're like, what's the priority? <laughs> do I, 
you know, work my butt off for someone else or do I work for, for myself and help myself out? Do I have a family? Do I not have a family? I mean, we, we were trying to have kids when she found out she had leukemia. So it's, it's a big like thing in me. It's weird. I, I have this weird sense of it's, just, it's nutty, but mm-hmm. how, how you deal with that, like anything, the more you prepare for it, the easier it is. So now, you know, if it ever happens again to anyone I love, I mean, I know what to do. I know what it's going to feel like. I have thought about it. I've prepared myself, I've gone through a lot of therapy, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's like that kind of complex relationship. So how, how have people, how have people, you know, reacted to the book? I mean, I'm sure people that know you personally are kind of like, okay, that's just him. <laughs> you know, he's being a reverend again. And, well, oh yeah, little book, cute little bookie thing with your little, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it, it comes with actually the title is because like, I remember I would describe it to people. Um, some people, some people are like, wow, that's a really good idea. Right away. They're just like intrigued that like, Hmm, I can see why this is a good idea to plan the end of your life. Like they immediately know some people are like, what Neville, how can you say that? Like you, your death already. You're so young. I'm like, I'm not planning on doing it now. I have no intention of doing it now. It's, this is very far in the future, by the way, it's like 49 years away. And so, so, uh, what I'd always tell them is, They'd be like, well, why are you thinking about your death? And I was just like, well, you're going to die. <laughs> and they're like, no, I just don't want to think about it. I was like, okay, but you are going to die. Yeah. And if it doesn't affect you because, well, you're dead and you're gone now. Yeah. Okay, fine. You have an out, yeah. but your family still deals with it. Right. And so like, I, I think like, that's what the crazy thing is. Like, I think over here in the United States, we tend to think, or a lot of the Western world, try to think of like a death as like your thing, but it's like your family survives no. you. And they're the ones that have yeah. to deal with whatever comes after. Right. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's a, it's a way of ensuring for me, like the quality of life for the living. And, and, and also it's a selfish thing to know that, like, I need to do what I want to do at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's just helpful to just know that you're going to die. And uh, like everyone before you has died. <laughs> Every living thing before you has yes. died. Yes. There's not been a single person, animal, bacteria, tree, paramecium that has survived right a longer period of time than normal yeah yeah and even if we extend it one one time two time three time five time you're still gonna die yeah (laughs) and most likely there will be advances in in different ways so i actually talk about uh two things like how to extend your life Uh uh in terms so like eating healthy blah 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 that'll only make a small percentage variance in your life structure you you um so let's say you lived to 125 or something. Okay, yeah. but that's not much of an extension. Yeah. Um, you can write things down. So we read stuff that Aristotle said. Right. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean he's alive, no. but it means there's some uh, form of continuation yeah. in his chain of life. Yep. Right. So I think that's kind of interesting. It's one of the reasons I kind of like a book format over just like a blog post, yeah. you know? I mean, if I, if I wrote everything on floppy disks a long time ago, I mean, now like, you know, I mean, floppy disks are being passed around. Yeah. So I think there's something cool about a book that kind of makes it. Um, I personally don't care about legacy because in my mind, I'm like, I'm dead. Like I'm dead. I'm dead. That, that just open and close to me. So I talk about that. I also talk about things that make people happy throughout time. So I remember, especially in India, like you go to these villages and they live in abject poverty. And honestly, they're about as happy as us. I don't think it's any different, if not maybe a little bit higher sometimes. 
because they have key things in their life that are different. Right. So if you live in a big house by yourself, that means you're lonely and yeah. that's not going to be too fun. But if you're living with three generations under one roof, you might not have a lot of privacy, but it's a hell of a time. <laughs> Assuming you have a good family. Uh, yeah. There's a dog yeah. running around and some yeah. grandkids and like, yeah. you know, the, the grandma's cooking. Yeah. It's a fun time. Yeah. And, and it's hard to be very sad around that environment. Right. So I, I thought of things that like bring people happiness. So like a private jet flight, right now might be cool, but in 30 years when it's all automated, it might be really cheap. And like, now who cares about flying across the country? Who cares about indoor plumbing anymore? That used to be dope as hell in like 1920, you know? So it's just like those types of things change constantly with just the time and your situation. But there's certain things in life, hugging a puppy, hugging a kid, playing with kids, uh, hanging out with your buddies, getting a buzz on, these things are fun really for any human. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. So I like, I like doing more, more of those, creating more smiles and frowns. Like it's, it's, it's a pretty simple philosophy, but it, it ultimately codes. It's like, you're going to die. Like the punchline is you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> no. And, and like a lot of people that are dying, they realize that too late. I know when, uh, when Jane, thought that she might go mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know exactly when it was. I don't know like what the, you know, what kind of tipped me off, but I remember her, her attitude and her, her, like, um, the way she lived, I mean, changed. I mean, she had to do all the chemo and all that sort of stuff, but I just remember the, the honesty and the, like, she was worried about the, those that she would leave behind to your point. It's like, well, I'm dead. Who cares? But the people that are behind, I'm worried about them. Um, and so she actually was, and it's the best gift I've ever gotten from anyone was she worried more about how I would do and her family and her friends. So she set things up in her own mind so that she could have, I don't know, like a, when she went, it would be the best it could be. I mean, it's never good, but there's a lot of people. timeline to follow. Yeah. Event. Or, but her attitude, this is the thing that's like, and, and you hear about this occasionally, not a lot of people talk about it, but her attitude was, well, she was scared. She was sad, but she wasn't like, she didn't bring the room down. She wasn't fighting it to the point that brought everyone else down she was helping everyone else with the process. Mm -hmm. Sounds weird, but it's, it's like the best gift that you can give anyone. So if, if you are unfortunately at that point in your life where you may go, your attitude about it helps tremendously. In fact, I'm probably, you know, talking to you today because how she handled it. Because if, mm -hmm. if it kind of went the other way, I, I, who knows where I would be? Because I handled it pretty poorly um, with, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but, you know, and I am, I'm actually writing a memoir about it. So, um, oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah. To sort of get, it had to get out in the world. I think to your point, like, um, not so much legacy, but I think if you, if you know something, you got to teach it, which is why I really like how you've approached the copywriter course. And really how your attitude about life and even though, you know, you write about you're going to die, but like it, it kind of comes full circle because 
if you are teaching others what you know and they're like getting what's in your head, mm-hmm. then you, even though you may not want it to be your legacy, it's your legacy and you're helping people fulfill their dream and their legacy and hopefully, you know, doing good in the world. Because I do think good stories and good copy are net positive most of the time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you could be kind of not too cool about it, but most people, they get found out if they're not authentic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I really appreciate your time, man. It's, uh, it's yeah. Great book. Great course. Highly recommend it to everyone. Don't, don't wait three years. Like I did. <laughs> <laughs> or they can. Yeah, they the internet, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, eventually you will come. If you, I will just state this as a matter of fact, if you have to make money with your words, you will eventually wind up at the copywriter course and have the pleasure of learning so. from from Neville, who is. I think we do a good job with people. You I do. think we there's like a big personal touch. A lot of people are like, "Oh, you're actually in here writing copy." I'm like, "Yeah, that's what, yeah. <laughs> that's the point." Yeah. Um, we want to make we want to have people like enjoy the network and get something out of it. Make friends in there. We want them to meet other people that they otherwise would meet. We want them to see like oh, this person's having trouble writing a blog post and watch the evolution of it and be like, oh yeah, my first draft is always sucky. I just thought like it was me. Like, no, it's everybody. Yeah, so it's been really fun to watch people in there like grow and help them and stuff like that on the way and then like see like a product they put out work well or like a homepage convert double. You know, it's really awesome to see that. Yeah. Yeah, the the You're Gonna Die book was more of just kind of like a a fun thing. I wanted to actually just learn to write a book in Google Docs. <laughs> yeah, that was a good whole thing in Google too. Docs. I, I yeah. published a post on that and yeah, I'm making a video good. about it. It was really good. But but it was also like, how do you put out more of these posts? So if you write a memoir, uh, you know, do you need a publisher? Do you want to go on a book tour? Do you want to do all that? So for this, like, this is not a concept of trying to jam down anyone's throat. That's why I call it like a framework for happiness. Um, Epictetus had a book called A Manual for Living, not the manual for living. A manual, meaning like it's one of them. Take what you want from it. So that's that's why I wrote the book is more of kind of like a fun thing to do. Um, and this was the one concept that I thought like every time I talk about it, people are like, wait, what? Yeah. So you have to like hit rewind on it every time we have that conversation. So I figured this would be a nice primer. Here, read this, you'll understand. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great hook. It's a great hook. And uh everyone should read it. It's cool. quick and just filled with great stuff. So Neville, really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you. Take care. Sweet. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, stay safe. Thanks everyone for listening. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.
Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.